Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. We're getting into bedrock. And a great way to acquire uh, partners in life is to look good, get jacked, and be strong, right? Yeah, I mean, it's worked out for some of us. Yeah, uh, every one of us. I mean, I, I don't know why you started lifting weights, but it's definitely the reason I started lifting weights. Yeah. Well, then let's explore because we pro- provide the perfect program opportunity for those people looking to get jacked strong and well, be very useful. In life. It's a lot easier to get strong or I'm sorry, it's more beneficial or it's easier to get jacked if you're already strong. So I think what happens a lot of times is people have this idea they want to put on muscle and they want to get bigger and stronger. And I think it's a it, it's a great endeavor, and I'm 100% behind it. It just helps to be strong. It's hard to put on massive amounts of hypertrophy and look fucking jacked without being strong first. It's a lot easier to get somebody pretty strong, have them move pretty well, and you know. And then if we want to diet them down a little bit, it's a little bit easier than uh, trying to have a guy who's you know afraid of getting strong. So I think a lot of times where you know I've had people come to me and said, "Hey, dude, I want to put on muscle. I want to be jacked." I'm like, "Dude." It's a lot easier for me to make that happen if you're already strong. Well, how long is it going to take me to get strong? A lifetime. lifetime. Let's start. And then let's start. And we just so happen to have this incredible program called Bedrock based off of a really interesting bit of physiology on using a linear progression and adding weight to an unadapted nervous system so we can take advantage of all of the cool things that happen uh, you know, under a barbell. I mean, we talk about inter intermuscular coordination. We talk about rate coding. I mean, all of the bitch and physiology that happens where the concert of the body ends up playing together. And really what we know is as strength development, which we will explore the whys. And joining us today on power at radio is coach Carl case. Hey Carl, how you How's doing? Buddy? Somebody who is not only uh, done bedrock, but has taken, would you say hundreds of athletes through bedrock? Yeah, I'd probably say we're getting close to that. Yeah, over the years. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty interesting when you start thinking you're like hundreds, and then you think, uh, well, yeah. if I if I took ten to twenty kids through this thing, we'd be doing this for ten years. Yeah, we're in the hundreds. Yeah, and the math checks out. Yeah, wow, that is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, and present and traveled the world and presented on the program, which is also pretty cool because the nuances from your application allowed you to stand up and teach and present. And a lot of the information we're going to get into and explore today on the value of establishing a foundation of strength through Power Athletes Bedrock Program. Cool. Well, where, where would you like to begin, Mr. McCorpin? I want to begin with who is this program for? We alluded okay. to the dude just trying to impress some women out there. But in general, like who is this program built for in the beginning, John? Uh, wow. Okay. So um, when I originally got pitched the cross of football idea by uh, Greg Glassman, uh, I wanted to like it, it was it was pretty interesting as I started like sitting down and looking at like, okay, how does this training really look? Uh, I'd only had well, it, it had been so long since I had been a beginner that uh, like I couldn't necessarily use myself as much of a model. Um, and one because I think that my experience lifting weights when I first started was so just like murky. Um, you know, like my first experience of lifting weights was walking into a high school weight room where we did a Russian squat program where it was like six by two, six by three. We took a percentage. We had to max one rep max that day. I'd never lifted weights and I'm doing one rep maxes on a squat and a deadlift and a bench. 
And then they're giving me like, you're going to train to 80% of this. Like one, I had no business doing it Two, I didn't know how to do any of the movements and nobody really showed us. So the squat looked like this weird kind of like, you know, you've seen kids who have never squatted before, like the knees are buckling, the back is bending. You're kind of doing this good morning. You're kind of looking around because you don't know if you're doing it wrong or if somebody's going to tackle you. And then you kind of do this weird good morning and stand up and you kind of like put the rack away and you look around and you're like, how was that? People look awful. You're like, okay, which, uh, what should I do to make it better? Add more weight. Uh, yeah, add more <laughs> weight and it'll, and it'll just look more awful. So we didn't really have any coaching. And then, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I get a little bit stronger, you know, like the, the effects of strength training are happening just because we're doing strength training. We're not doing it well. And then all of a sudden I go over and I meet Zangus and we start training over there where I actually get some coaching. And George Zangus is? Uh, George Zangus was the old power lifter um, that lived in our neighborhood. He owned Marathon Nutrition, invented the super suits and wraps. And he would periodically kind of, uh, you know, through his supplement, um, he had a health food store called Marathon Nutrition on top of the hill, which was next door to Warehouse Music. So on occasion, we would like kind of run into George and he was smart enough. Like he knew who my brothers were because my brothers were, you know, uh, bigger dudes that played high school and went on to play college football. So I ended up meeting George through a guy named Tasso Papadakis, whose brother Petros, if you guys are out in California, is on the radio. And um, uh, I ended up training over there and uh, Tasso became my training partner. Um, now, Tasso was like looked like something out of a movie like he. I remember he was 15 years old, squatted 405 for 10, bench 315 for 10. He was a monster. And like, I'm over there, like barely struggling to do, you know, like even rack his weights. Uh, so we ended up training with George and, you know, he was nothing but singles, doubles and triples, you know, maybe the occasional four or five, all the accessory movements were higher end. And uh, we, sir, we would go train at George's. We would train in high school. And then we started following Flex Magazine programs like Dorian Yates, you know, Road to the Olympia was like our favorite one. So we were going to a 24-hour fitness. We were training at high school and we were training at George's place, doing three different programs in a single day in different locations, right? Like only a fucking idiot 14, 15-year-old kid could pull this off. And I ended up with a ton of injuries. So I was also uh, on the track team. So I was throwing shot and trying to run the hurdles. I tripped over a hurdle, jam my knee. We were doing depth jumps. I mean, there was just the amount of stupidity that we were doing was uh, I look back and I'm like, it's amazing that I even got to where I was just for the, the stupidity in training. And not because, uh, you know, somebody was coaching us to do it because nobody really provided us a framework. Like it wasn't like George was like, hey, this is all you're going to fucking do. And if I see you guys do anything else, I'm going to kick your ass. Or he didn't like, you know, hey, here's the program you're going to follow. And this is all you're going to do. It was kind of like, oh, we go train George. He would tell us to do. And then we just go somewhere else and do more. Mm -hmm. And we have this idea that if one's good, a hundred's better. And um, I, I ended up with, uh, after I jammed my knee uh, tripping on that hurdle, I ended up with tendonitis. I had to go see a guy named Joe Horgan at the Soft Tissue Center. He worked on my knee a bunch. And I remember he uh, he told me, he said, hey, do you want to play college football? And I was like, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like the thought had crossed my mind. And he said, like, you better slow down because if you got this injury at like 16 years old with your knee, what's it going to look like at 20, 22? If you want to have a future, you got to slow down. And I think like that element when I was 16 or 17, I realized that I just couldn't use the shotgun approach and try to do everything, that it had to be more structured. And at that point, I sat down with George and I was like, you know, here are my goals. How do we get there? And I kind of like put the programming over to him. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't write everything down. I wish he had like had a trained heroic or something like that where he could, you know, put it there and I could see it. Or even in a book, it was just like uh, he would scratch it on like post-its. 
And I'm like, hey, this is what you're doing today. I'm like an idiot kid. I didn't save the post-its. You know, I didn't have a cell phone to take a picture of them. And, uh, you know, he would call stuff out. And I think that once I, I started training over at his place every night, so I would train over there four to five nights a week. or um, So it was three nights or four nights a week at his place at like seven o'clock at night. So you'd get home about six, eat dinner, and then we would lift weights at seven. And then I would train at the high school, but I would just kind of like snowball it. I'd go in there and do a little bit so that they wouldn't harass me, but not enough to really for my training. And then uh, and then on Saturdays, we would have our big lift day. That was our big squat deadlift day. And um, And then when I went to college, like, you know, we were already kind of in that intermediate dance and they're going to throw you in. And so uh, when I got pitched with CrossFit football, I knew that I wanted to offer a beginner's program to help people um, not fuck up the way that I did. I wanted to try to like I, I really viewed CrossFit football as my ability to save a whole generation of people from a bunch of bad decisions that look like using uh, high intensity uh, interval training as strength training for, for sport. So I knew that we were going to get a ton of kids into this. So I needed to, you know, go back and humble myself and ask for help. And I reached out to Mark Ripto because I knew he had a ton of experience training kids. And, uh, you know, Bill Starr and kind of that whole progression was really interesting to me. And I remember uh, Rip talking to me about the basic linear progression. So I went out to Wichita Falls and I saw that I read Starting Strength and I saw the way he did it. And uh, it wasn't the way. I wanted to write the program, but I wanted to use his principles. So I remember we sat down at his desk in Wichita Falls and went through and basically created the amateur template based off of what I wanted to do, what I needed to get done, how I saw the training go. And I remember he like wrote it out. I remember he took a picture and I still have it somewhere. Um, But it was really the first time I'd seen programming written like that and kind of like this big concept templates. And that was extremely impactful for me. So um, that was the amateur and then I uh, had a, uh, a bunch of the, let me see how I put this, um, a bunch of the experiences that I had where um, I never, like, I, I never thought singles, doubles, and triples were really good for me, just me as an individual in terms of building strength. I thought they were great for testing strength. So I had this theory of like tra- testing versus training. So what I found was actually rep maxes where they'd be, you know, seven, sixes, fives, and fours were really, really good for me in terms of being able to push my like strength base. And then I would kind of, you know, periodize into singles, doubles, and triples as more of a test. And so I looked at it as like training and testing, training and testing. And that kind of back and forth really made a ton of sense for me. Um, I was also not a fan of classical periodization. So when I was in college, we used to do these programs that were going to be like 12 to 16 weeks long. We, we mm-hmm. tested one RM, snatch, clean, and jerk, front squat, you know, overhead press, you know, those four or five movements. And then we would follow this uh, classic, you know, periodization of like, you know, uh, 75, 77, 80, 82, 85, 80, you know, and we would do this progression kind of a percentages based on reps. And I remember the first time we did it in about week six or seven, all of a sudden I was doing like, uh, you know, some like triple or something. And I did a triple with like what my one RM was, or no, I'm sorry. I was doing a triple and it was super light and I just put weight on the bar and ended up doing a triple with what the one RM I had tested before. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, wow, I just tripled what I did a, a single for a few weeks ago, man, by the end of this training cycle, I'm going to be able to do this for five or six or seven reps. Like I'm going to crush it. Well, all of a sudden I get to the end of the classical periodization kind of model and we're at like, you know, week 12 and I barely got like 
I think I did a single with what I did before. And I got frustrated because I, and I even talked to Todd Rice about this. I'm like, Hey man, I did a triple with this weight six, seven weeks in. And now here we are at 12 weeks and I could hardly do it. Like I was stronger at certain points. And I realized at that point that uh, the classic periodization is a great model for, for a lot of people, but you need the ability to have flexibility on the days that you feel better. And if I peak earlier in my cycle, I should have the ability to like be able to push it. So that's where I came up with the theory of rep maxes. And if we were going to do any speed work, um, which actually ended up that component of that piece um, came from Louis Simmons. So I think I've told the story that uh, I wanted to bench 500 pounds and my roommate, Kevin Doherty, had these uh, videotapes from Westside on how to have like big bench. So we watched these videotapes. And at the end, there's a phone number where it's like, hey, you know, like a phone number would pop up. So I went up to the coach's office because we didn't have long distance. So I called Louis Simmons from there and Louis helped me with a program that looked like um, it was uh, heavy close grips, a lot of accessory dumbbell work, and he wanted speed work. So that was, you know, uh, the first time we were talking about the speed work, which brings me back to the George Zangus days of compensatory acceleration and Fred Hatfield. And like all of a sudden, like those conversations that George had with me um, when I was a beginner, like I didn't. Like I heard he was saying, and I knew the idea of right. mechanical advantage increases, so to speed and punching my hands. Like there was a lot of pieces for that, that made sense at the time. It didn't really make sense until I was like 21 and I was really fucking strong. Now all of a sudden, you know, George's statement, I'm like, don't lift weights like old people have sex slow and careful, try to break that shit. All of a sudden when you bench, you know, f- close to 500 pounds and, you know, I squatted what, 6'10 when I was 19. So I had a 500 pound front squat. I mean, like all of a sudden I'm really fucking strong. And now all of a sudden when you bring that weight off your chest and you're trying to break those weights, all of a sudden Louis's conversation about compensatory acceleration and speed work, all of a sudden, man, that like, it like crystallized. And I was like, oh, which is the statement we made earlier, which is uh, hypertrophy and strength and you know power, all these things become easier to develop if you're already strong. Mm-hmm. So um sitting down and, and talking to Mark Ripto and like, you know, putting these templates together, uh, you know, talking about my idea of rep maxes, um, you know, volume, which was, you know, we use vol. I, I use volume in terms of speed work, compensatory acceleration and kind of the templates. I looked at, uh, you know, if we do a five RM and let's say we go do a five by five, it's going to be a percentage of that five RM because I thought that percentages only really last like a week. Like if I hit a five RM here and I need you to do 80% at five by five, I need that to be done with compensatory. I mean, so there's like a lot of these things were pieces from my own training that sitting with Mark, I told him, hey, this is what I want to do. And he helped me work through those in a couple of days. And we got into the advanced template. And then I had the opportunity when CrossFit Football launched to basically put these templates out with really short seven to 12 minute conditioning, mixed modal kind of movements, a little bit of conditioning, which is really just accessory work, supersets, giant sets. And uh, we had this really bitch and deal. We put it out. You know, 16, 17,000 people hit the, hit the first day. And uh, we started programming that. And people followed it for years. And what was cool is we got to travel and meet all the people that did it through the seminars. But what was insane was that, and Carl, you, you can, uh, you know, tap in on this. When we would go teach the seminars, the most amazing stories always came from the amateur progression, the bedrock template. Uh, we would get coaches, we'd get people and athletes that would show up and be like, I started falling across the football. I used the amateur. And, uh, you know, I always go back to, um, uh, you know, Braden Smith, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Indianapolis Colt, Auburn Tiger. Yep. And, and Oluth. Uh, uh, no, um, Aletha. Aletha. Yeah. 
So uh, Double D, uh, one of our coaches, has him, ends up using the amateur, and he starts sending me videos. And like, dude, this kid was stronger, you know, like coming out of high school than most NFL players. Mm-hmm. And I remember like he sent me this video and I can't even remember. It was like the, maybe the kid was benching like 465 or oh, something. I can dig it up. It was something insane in high school to the point where I like hit him back and I was like, holy shit, what are you doing? And he's like, exactly what you told me. I, I used the amateur progression and like this kid ticked to it. I mean, his sister was a high level thrower. I mean, he had the genetic, uh, you know, like hierarchy and, and you know, like raw material to be who he is. I'm not saying that we, you know, but it was a, an element where like the perfect program hit like the perfect athlete at the exact moment when it needed to. And we've seen this over and over and over again over the last decade plus to the point where we, you know, had to go back and almost hack into the physiology of like, why does this work the way it does? Mm-hmm. All right. So that unadapted nervous system. What Save that because okay. we're going to get, I, I want to close with the science for the, the people that are interested. I don't want to lose them yet. Okay. Carl, when you first began to follow CrossFit football, you made a very common mistake. <laughs> yeah. So I started, so 2009, it was launched. And I had, at that point, worked out in high school, obviously with football and rugby, had started CrossFit in 2007. And so, as John mentioned, there was, um, there's, at that time, there was a professional collegiate and uh, amateur or novice, whatever it was titled at that point. Um, and so me being kind of probably egotistical and not understanding as well, just like, well, I'm not a beginner, I'm not a novice. So I'm going to go straight to collegiate or the intermediate program. And sure. I kind of saw some benefits, things like that, but fast forward a few months when I go to uh, the CrossFit football seminar, uh, in 2009 and hear the lecture and hear the reasoning behind why this is and why we start people here. It's like, Oh, the, that's where I should have been. So then go back and then get back onto um, the base program and start from there and, and really build and see that accelerated um, adaptation that we talk about. And in the lectures, we use the example, right. Of like you squat twice a week, 10, 10 weeks, you're hundred pounds heavier. And like, those are very realistic things. Those aren't just things, big updates. Throughout. Like it's very realistic for that to happen. And mm-hmm. happened. Um, with myself on three by fives and, and numerous other athletes, like it's just amazing that that growth and just starting with that simple program and not being anxious to want to jump to that, to that next step. I just uh, want to explain real what's funny too on that three by five. We tested it with a four by fours, and then we also did two by sevens. The two by sevens wasn't enough opportunity. The four by four actually, we thought we could extend the linear progression farther. The problem was uh, the extra set fucked up the timing. So it was like 16 reps versus 15 versus 14. And like it was ended up being like, well, the 14 wasn't enough opportunities. The 16 took too long. The three by five was something we could get within like the a very real workout window. Two things on that. Fours found its way as a cycle into field strong. Two, explaining the program of what we're experiencing. So it's like a, a single week, linear progressing, and then resets at the end of the week. Monday, we're going to sprint. I also want to get into the value of sprinting, John. Uh, we're going to sprint intensity as fast as you flip and can. Then you're going to squat three sets, five reps. And then you're going to vertical press three sets of five reps. If you're just beginning on the program, start with the bar, add weight until it feels like work. And then that's our that's our beginning three by five. Tuesday, we're going to deadlift. Same approach if it's your first time. Posture, good position. If it looks good, if it looks right, let it fly. Uh, and then strict pull-ups. And then we got some lunging in there. 
And then Wednesday, typical rest day or practice if you're a current athlete. Then Thursday, we're back to our squat. So three by five, what we need you to do is add five total pounds to the barbell, three sets, five reps, same weight, plus five that you did on Monday. And we pair that up with bench press now instead of a vertical press overhead. It's a horizontal push, bench pressing or floor pressing if you're in a limited space and experience. And tag that with a volume run, some more traditional conditioning for field court sports. And then Fridays are fun day. We're going to power clean. Now, five sets of three reps. Well, it's uh, it's really a heavy versus dynamic pull. So 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 everything's based off of push and pulls. Yes. So so yeah. So we got two days of pushes, which would be like the squat and the press, or the squat and the and the um, bench bench. And then the other day would be like the heavy deadlift with uh, pull ups, and then there'd be a dynamic pull. So one was a heavy pull, dynamic pull, which was funny because uh, a lot of people in the beginning uh, like were losing their fucking minds because they're like you're training your legs two days in a row. Oh, still, still. So I presented on this at, at NSCA conferences and clinics, and that's the common question that we always receive still. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And uh, like my whole thought was, um, and I did, I've, I've given this response numerous times. There was never a point where I went to go play football where I'm like, you know, <laughs> today's just not a leg day. Uh, you know, like we train the body as this like full, uh, you know, like, uh, like a full system. So the idea of kind of breaking it up into body parts and this, and I'm like, you know, I, um, I'm sure fucking Paul Carter would argue with me on this one, but I never really note viewed the deadlift as a primarily leg exercise. I always viewed it as more of an upper back, you know, kind of trunk, big pole. And, uh, maybe that's just the way I deadlift, but, um, you know, I mean, we've done it both ways where we've used the deadlift as a, you know, accessory on legs. We've used it as a, uh, you know, primary driver on lower bodies with, uh, you know, unilateral bilateral movements as accessory. I mean, we played with the different days, uh, you know, within the hierarchy of programming, a lot of times it comes down to like economy. And, um, I explained to somebody this on hammer the other day, uh, on the console that when you sit down and design a program, it's kind of like, uh, sitting there and looking at all these ingredients and all these ingredients taste great. But unfortunately, if I throw them all in one bowl, it's going to taste like shit. So what you have to do is you have to have economy. Like, how do I put the right amount of each and decide what works and what doesn't that I know that these pair well? And more importantly, if I'm trying to design something over a course of a week, what's the most important? On our hammer stuff, we want people to be strong. We want capacity. We also have to have a run template involved. So there has to be economy of like, all right, if I do this and this, this is really the only day I can do this. And so a lot of times with, uh, you know, the amateur progression, it, you know, uh, they were like, well, why don't you, uh, squat and deadlift on the same day and then, uh, you know, put the, the press and the bench on the one day. And I'm like, we tested that and that worked well. The problem is, is that if I squatted first and deadlifted, we weren't able to get the same ability to like linear progress to deadlift because the, the squat was so demanding. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if we needed them to sprint that day, it was easy for me to have them, uh, squat, press, and sprint, and then all of a sudden hit all their heavy back and their pullers and their accessory and actually give them a chance to hit a little bit of bodybuilding too with some hammer curls and a few different things. Uh -huh. So it really came down to like arranging an economy and basically being able to design it. And I think a lot of times uh, strength coaches or even people writing programs, when I look at them, they just look like fucking Christmas trees. I don't know if you've ever gone over to somebody's house and like they, this is something we would deal with. Um, you go over to somebody's house and they have way too many fucking ornaments on their tree to the point where you're like, I can't even see your tree. 
And then you go over to other yeah. people's houses and you're like, you know, you could get some bigger ornaments. So funny deal. We had a small tree. So we'd always had like a six or seven foot tree. And we thought small. we had like a pretty good amount of ornaments. This year, I went with a nine foot tree. We put all of our ornaments on and it looked totally sparse to the point where I was like, we might need to get some ornaments. Now, a lot of times with training programs, you have your tree and I think coaches or people just start putting too many ornaments on it. So you almost have to have everything balanced and you have to know how big your tree is and how hard, you know, how wide it is, what the space is, how you want to deal. And uh, uh, a lot of this comes down to just over the course of the week, how much can I get done and how do I get the highest quality movement? And uh, that becomes like the paramount deal that if you slop through something or you, you know, you're not recovered or you're too fatigued or you can't do this or, you know, you uh, uh, fatigue too many neuromuscular pathways and give me shit on the third on the third set. Now, all of a sudden that becomes a problem. So there also becomes an issue where uh, you don't have the base level of conditioning to be able to survive your training. And I wrote an article years ago and talked to me, Johnny, calling, do I have to be in shape? If you guys want to look at, we can link it up. Yes. And, and, it, and to, to add and sum it up, how we teach what John's explaining right now within the methodology, those of you familiar, the principle of accelerated adaptation and preventing this Christmas tree effect. I'm certainly going to, to write that in there. That's an excellent analogy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I, I do want to get into a, a lot more, but also the value here of injury. And Carl, this is one of the main reasons we brought you in on this conversation and that you went through the linear progression. You established a foundation, a base level of strength, and then you experienced a uh, two traumatic knee injuries. But how important was establishing through a linear progression, a base level of strength for returning to who you were as an athlete? Oh, it was, it was paramount. Um, not only going into recovery ha- or going into the surgery, having already established a certain level of strength, had more to carry me through, right? So I had a, a higher starting point than someone who hadn't come in off of that surgery, but also we, I had so having done the work over the time and have laid the, those neural pathways, right. Um, it was much easier to get back to once we had that full clearance and we, we use the analogy of like, um, trudging up a mountain, right. That's snow covered. Like the first time, like you're having to like make your way through that snow and, and create your own path. But when you come up again, you've, you've laid this path, you've laid that motorway, and, and to get back up to where you were, it's, it wasn't nearly um, as big a problem as it would have been going into it, um, I guess, cold and not having established that. And just knowing that you, what you had to go through and knowing how, again, like, okay, I'm a plan. Um, I'm a new athlete, right? I'm basically an amateur again. I'm a, a whole different athlete than I was prior to the surgery. So I know the recipe, start here and build up and recipe for success as far as that recovery. And how important was that mentally realizing, you know, I can trust this new body part because I'm, I'm strong again? Oh, that was, that was huge. I mean, especially with something like an ACL injury that's this so catastrophic and has such a long time to return to play um, and getting on there and wanting to be back into the sport, right? When we have, when you squat, lunge, you step, you deadlift, um, to name the lower body ones week after week and you build this time, you, you rebuild that coordination, you rebuild that hypertrophy, that confidence in our kind of movement patterns. So when it comes time to do them in this um, unknown scenario, like sport, like, okay, I know I've laid the work. I know I'm confident in my movement competency. Um, things feel good. My strength is, I know where I'm supposed to be. So yeah, having that is, is, is huge. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, while we're on it, the, the physiology, 
So let, let's get into it. Like uh, paint the picture of what an amateur looks like the first time bench press. And I love the story of you going into the 98 gym and seeing oh, uh, coordination mean, in the wild. Uh, the 12. The 12. Sorry. So uh, the first time we had. So I, uh, after I got back from working with Rip and really come up with this template and having him really give me like a hands on understanding of the physiology and what's going to happen with the linear progression, which they had been using for years with starting strength. But here was kind of the, the way I wanted to do it. And so we had a, a, a young athlete who came in and I slid him over this program and said, hey, I want you to do this. And I remember the first day he squatted like 165 pounds for like a set of five and it looked fucking awful. And I remember at the time where my desk was, there was a window and I could see the platform. And I remember like every day he came in and it just looked awful every day. And I, all of a sudden, like we were weeks into this thing and I'd kind of watch and, you know, chest up, kind of keep driving. And uh, all of a sudden we're like 10, 12 weeks in and I walk out there and he like had basically had been following the linear progression, five pounds, 10 pounds a week. And here we are 10, 12 weeks in, he's got like 120 pounds extra on the bar. I mean, now he's out, he did 165 for five. I think he hit like three, like 315 for a set of five. And I'm like, holy shit. And uh, from the side, I couldn't tell how much weight was on it. I just knew it still looked off. <laughs> and, you know, 16 weeks, uh, we ended up testing for one RM and he squatted 405 and it looked awful. And at that point, we had to go back and fix some stuff because just the mechanics. But it was uh, like putting a plant into the light making sure it had enough food and just leaving it the fuck alone. And it grew the way we needed it to do. And we did that a ton with, um, you know, obviously to cross the football program. What was fascinating that we didn't do with his program is we didn't necessarily put a conditioning program in. We had the strength, we kind of had the accessory, but he didn't necessarily hit the conditioning the way that I'd want him to do it. And uh, that became a really interesting piece where I think people are so nervous that like somehow they're going to outcondition their gains and, you know, it's going to kill the gains and this uh, strength is a really interesting thing that I think strength can grow and the ceiling ends up becoming the conditioning piece. Like how much work can I do? Am I able to recover? Like have I increased my base level? And uh, we got that from the CrossFit market. Um, you know, this idea of GPP, which is a pretty fascinating story on how CrossFit landed on GPP. So uh, it was actually Rob Wolf, and it was in one of the original CrossFit forms that they've gone back and developed or deleted. But uh, Glassman didn't necessarily know the effect of what they were doing. They just knew that this form of exercise with no rest was eliciting certain responses. And it was Rob Wolf that went back and said, hey, I, I think we're doing GPP training, like what the West guys, uh, West side, because Rob was a power lifter, mm-hmm. had, uh, uh, you know, obviously knew Louis Simmons and dove a ton into the West side stuff and Art Devaney and, you know, this idea of like base level of conditioning and knew a bunch of the Russian stuff. And, you know, if you read Zadiskorsky and Verkashansky, they always talk about the idea of GPP with a progression to SPP. And I think Rob threw out like, Hey, uh, I think we're, we're building GPP with it. Glassman who thumbed his nose at anything didn't necessarily go and research. And yep, that, that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing GPP training, not realizing that that's kind of a obtuse statement because if you're doing GPP work, there's a natural assumption that there's an SPP. Nobody just does GPP work. It would just be called work. So the West Side guys needed a base level conditioning. And Louis found it that uh, strength only grows so fast unless you're in better shape. And I remember talking to Louis on the phone when he asked me, you know, how many workouts a week are you doing? I was like, I don't know, four or five. He's like, I'm doing 16. Right. So I'm doing four strength. I'm hitting conditioning workouts. And what I'm doing is I'm effectively raising my GPP, which allows my tree of strength to grow higher. 
And uh, that was an, uh, a very impactful statement for me because I realized that, you know, like, um, you know, that you have to have this base level conditioning. It goes back to that article that I wrote called, do I have to be in shape? And you got to be in shape. There's a, a very, very real element to it. Now you can do it with a barbell. There's other ways to do it. But the idea of like, you have to be in shape to be able to survive your training. You have to be in shape to be able to do the volume of work we need to continue to drive adaptation. So when we started using the CrossFit football stuff, and we uh, we did a bunch of funny tests back in the day. We had everybody on a linear progression and we were having everybody follow it. They were somewhere in that sweet spot of seven to 12 minute workouts with maybe the occasional 15 minute or everybody was able to do the linear progression. Then we threw in like some awful, like a Murph. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden everybody failed on their linear progression and it took about two or three weeks for them to recover to catch it again. And then we had the seven to 12 minute workouts and we kept them right in that sweet spot. They were sprinting, they were running. And all of a sudden, everybody went back on that linear progression. And then we threw them something awful. And that fucked them up. And so there, we realized pretty early on, or I did, um, that there was a sweet spot where people could recover. And when we went outside of that, it ended up negatively impacting their ability to follow the linear progression. Then the sad part is, is a tree will never grow to the sky. The linear progression ends up kind of coming to a grinding halt. And we found different ways to skin it. We would drop them back 20%, have them do max reps. And we realized that a lot of times we had to drop the intensity, hit some volume and almost like, a, you know, the road diverges, which, you know, happens when you end that, you know, amateur progression and you either get into something that's, you know, more neurally focused, like a field strong, or you get into something which is looking to create a larger cross-sectional size of a muscle like Jack Street. Yes. So that was how those two programs kind of, you know, deviated. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent explanation i want to target before that experience of the resets because we we do need to to lay that foundation sure. if someone's just starting that the the value of sprinting so people may be scared of sprinting but the importance of accelerated adaptation and coordination when it comes to sprinting your fastest key asterisk right there <laughs> uh you know um we had dan path on uh, who kind of prescribes to a different philosophy in terms of the sprint stuff than I do. I follow more into that Charlie Francis deal. And, uh, you know, Charlie was extremely impactful for not only helping me come back from my patellar tendon, but also in my training, the idea of like, if you're, you know, to get strong, you got to lift heavy weights to sprint fast. You got to actually sprint fast and training in that no man's land in the sprint ends up negatively impacting you. Uh, when I shot that out to Dan, he disagreed. Um, I found it to be true that either I was doing tempo recovery runs or I was running as fast as I can. And that was, you know, very similar to what we were doing with Ruiz. Um, but the interesting piece was, you know, people always think, well, if I get stronger, I'll get faster. And that can be true until it's not true. And we saw a lot of fast guys that weren't, or sorry, a lot of strong guys that weren't fast, but we also saw people that weren't very fast, who got stronger, who became faster. And so it became like, you know, what's your reason for not being fast? Is it uh, coordination? Is it turnovers or strength? Is it force production? Is it just flexibility technique? I mean, strength is the, or sorry, speed and sprinting is the ultimate display of not only strength and athleticism and power and religious really grace. I mean, to the point where, you know, we had a pretty cool conversation with Cal Dietz where he said, Hey, if, uh, you know, I could film somebody sprinting for 10 yards. I can tell you exactly what's right or wrong in their training program. And he was where I, he still might be working on. I haven't talked to him about it recently, but an AI to where somebody can sprint for a short period of time, go into his AI and basically print you out a training program based upon all the things that it's seeing. So, I mean, sprinting is an incredible 
expression of strength and power. And, and I mean, it really is. And so um, we saw a lot of people who were not very strong, who started sprinting, got stronger, sprinted faster. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And at which point you got to improve your technique and go to a guy like Derek Hansen. And there's a whole bunch of, I mean, sprinting and more importantly, coaching sprinters to sprint well is a, I mean, Cav, I mean, Coach Cav, I mean, the, the amount of guys that we've had on who are high level sprint coaches, like it is a true art form. And mm-hmm. those guys are like, you know, composers of, of like the most epic proportions. And so um, for me personally, and I think I've talked about it on this podcast too many times, um, I love I love track. I love sprinting. I love watching it. Um, to me, I would much rather watch, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the finals in the, in the Olympics for the, the hundred, the 200, the 400, the hurdles. I mean, th- those are the days that I record and love to watch just because to me, it's such an incredible display of athleticism and strength and, and grit and power, especially like watching those girls run like the 5k or even the 10k, like just the intensity upon those individuals faces to just run people into the ground. It's fucking great. Uh, so <sighs> not to be long winded like I usually am um, the amateur progression. What's so cool. And I think of why it works well within the sprinting is that uh, with the physiology of this. So there's something which is called inter. And then there's another part called intramuscular coordination. The inter is actually the, the, the motor units within the muscle coordinating or did I fuck that one up? Oh, it's intra is within the muscle inter like international. Sorry. So intra would be within the muscle. Man, I always mess that one up and I never messed it up the right. No, it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then once that muscle coordinates, it starts coordinating with all the other muscles. And like the example that we would see all too often. Switch that. So, you got to work together first first before before, you can focus on yourself. Right. Yeah. The whole body works and then the individual works or the the muscle works. But the example we'll give is I was at the, uh, this place called the 12. Um, So, we used to train, uh, obviously we had... um, power athlete and before power little power athlete was built we were training at balboa and i got to the point where i didn't want to train there anymore because every day i'd show up i was working so i stopped at this gym called metrics which was kind of a famous old bodybuilder gym and uh one day we walked in and they had sold to this place called the 12 which was like imagine a gym that has a dj like on a fucking platform like you're at a rave and just like Blade versus Sandstorm while you're lifting weights. And they they would fly in these DJs and they had like a huge glass wall and they put on these like high intensity aerobics, like cardio classes. Uh, did you guys ever see like the um, How I Met Your Mother, the one about the Woo Girls? No. So, dude, one of my favorite How You Met Your Mother or, or How I Met Your Mother. There's um, too many of them. Okay. Well, there's one where uh, the girls go out with like, I forgot, they, they ended up meeting this girl, but like everything, they're like, so they call them the woo girls and then barney comes in and talks about the value of the woo girls nph without uh he said without barney uh or sorry without the woo girls we would have no like uh you know like uh uh what was it like uh fun shot glasses and like the whole you know all these industries would crumble like the um uh like the glitter body paint industry would just crumble and so he gets into this whole thing so if you guys google it the woo girls on youtube you'll see it but uh imagine like 30 woo girls doing some weird tribal war dance with dumbbells to some guy on a platform with like a head helmet with lights like blade versus sandstorm in the fucking blood rave. And we show up cause we had had a membership and all of a sudden we walk in, they change it in the middle of the night. We walk in to go to metrics and this is what we fucking see. So what did we do? We stayed. 
And uh, they had a few strength coaches or like young trainers that were training athletes still. And all of a sudden I see this young volleyball girl come in. She lays down on the bench press and her coach goes to spot her and she brings the bar down. And all of a sudden you see it doing like, you know, this whole thing. It looks like she's riding. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's intern intermuscular coordination. Like this happens. This is the first step in strength training. And he like grabs the bar with one hand and like pulls it in. He's like, that looks like shit. Takes over there and put her on a Smith machine. And it was like seeing like a beautiful flower popping out of like, uh, um, God, what was it in, in Wonder Woman when like the no man's land and like they can't cross and it's all like this, like, you know, just fucking war torn deal. And there's like one flower that was the one flower in that war torn and that dude stomped on it. So <laughs> long story short, fucking this podcast, um, we got a chance to see the linear progression and the amateur progression and like this whole uh, physiological response in terms of like weight training and coordination and balance and strength happened within this amazing concert. And, uh, it was inspiring. And to the point where, uh, I wish that I had had the opportunity to follow this program as a 14 year old, 15 year old kid first, you know, without the, you know, fucking trials and tribulations and nonsense I went through. And so this was my way of fixing some of the wrongs and preventing people from making the mistakes that I made. And people shouldn't have in this day and age, shouldn't have to make the mistakes and have these like moments of like epiphany. I mean, it, it was great because it evolved into this, but I can literally short circuit this and get you to where we go faster. So mm-hmm. lean, lean on my experience, lean on my mistakes. You don't have to be the dumbass I was. Yeah, a couple more points. We mentioned and introduced resets. As John said earlier, a tree doesn't grow to the sky forever. So progressing, adding the five pounds per squat day, 10 pounds per deadlift, 2.5 on your presses until you can't. So you fail and fail. We want you to reset three weeks and then hit your from your last successful three by five or five by three if it's power clean and then progress back up and break that plateau. Aim is for three resets on each barbell movement. That's when you know you've exhausted your linear progression. Let me tell you right now, your press, you're probably going to reset it, I don't know, six, seven, eight times. Deadlift, three. Squat, maybe four, five, six. Some outliers only need three resets on their squat, and their deadlift is the one that has more. But keep following the progression, dropping three weeks, and breaking through your plateau until you've exhausted all barbell movements. From that point, John, where do we go? Well, once we exhaust everything... And, you know, you can't go any farther. Um, you have to make a decision. You know, what's the next element on this training program? So what do you recommend? Well, as, as you mentioned earlier, the path of volume or intensity, if your aim, let's, let's reverse engineer from a goal. Okay. So if my aim is an individual, just going back well, to where we started on Chapman's campus. Well, there, so, um, man, there's a, an interesting piece, and I can't remember if it's science and practice or super training. But uh, they talk about this exact moment Mm -hmm. that, you know, when you start lifting weights, everything works until it doesn't. And then at some point you have to make a decision. So a lot of times where we see a lot of coaches have success with athletes is when you take an unadapted, untrained athlete, everything works. Like the the joke that somebody made once is uh, I could have you play the fucking snare drum for 12 weeks and your bench press is going to go up. Right. I could have you hit the kick drum for 12 weeks and your squat's going to go up because anything will work. So 
The problem becomes when you tab that that that, that group of individuals. It's kind of like uh, uh, NFL string coaches, right? Over there pontificating about you know this, and you got a you know a fucking moron like Canavy. Oh, you know, here's my program. I'm like, dude, when you have the best athletes in the world, everything works. You just don't get them hurt. And you know what the hilarious part is? Canavy will tell you the exact same thing. Like, you know, hey, if uh, this guy's worth forty million dollars and I'm worth a few hundred thousand or maybe a hundred thousand and I get him hurt, who's fucking going to get on the ax? So same with beginners. Um, you have the opportunity, you have a very short window for you to catch these kids. So instead of fucking around and doing a whole bunch of stuff that isn't going to really benefit them, why don't you just tap in and get them as strong as you can, as fast as you can, uh, understanding the physiology and using a basic linear progression. And, uh, you know, I've heard people try to battle against a linear progression. And unfortunately, I don't think there's as many people that have as many data points as we do and who've done this long. I mean, the only person that I know is Mark Ripto. And, uh, you know, the problem is, is that uh, I love Rip. Uh, dude, I, I, he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, like not only yeah, his like uh, <laughs> not only is he uh, a hilariously prickly, funny, interesting, just salty motherfucker. Uh, I love him. Like at the end of the world comes, I'm going to, you know, believe me, if he comes over the hill, I'm smiling. Um, but there's a lot of people that don't like Rip because he tells it like it is and he's not afraid to mince words and hurt feelings. Um, but for what he's done in terms of like handling beginners and starting strength and uh, really getting people, you know, interested in weightlifting, he's done an incredible job. But that uh, that day when we were going over the linear progression and going through the amateur progression and creating those templates, like, man, that was the foundations of what we've done to the point where, you know, and he even said, he goes, man, he goes, the fact that, you know, you didn't come in here and say, hey, I want to do this and this. I just said, hey, like, here's the training arrangement that I want. How do I get this done the best? And he he's trained a lot more beginners than I have because I was smart. I was um, confident in myself enough and more importantly, uh, had enough reflection to realize the way that I did it is not the way to do it. Uh, I succeeded in spite of my stupidity. Not necessarily because I, you know, had a Braden Smith or was elevated in that way. I mean, man, I would have loved to have had this opportunity. So I can't go back and rewrite time, but I can at least provide people the opportunity I didn't have. Now, when that thing ends, where do you go? Right. Uh, in super training or Zaz Gorsi's book, he talked about there's two roads. You either have to increase uh, central nervous system efficiency or you have to create a larger cross-sectional size of a muscle. So that's where we ended up deviating into field strong, mm-hmm. which is extremely CNS heavy. Yeah. And so, then Jack Street, which is really just the focus. I mean, you're going to get that same CNS, but really is based upon putting on some thick slabs of hypertrophy. Yeah. And if you're still active in sport life, getting after it, go the field strong route. Give that a degree. If you are in it just mainly for the grind, the fight with some aesthetics built in. Jack Street certainly certainly is the next step. And then from there, hey, who knows? We got more programs that align with your goals. All right, Carl, any parting words? I would say just take the time, invest in yourself. Start with the base, start with bedrock. And that's just going to further amplify all the other programs that Powerlift Athlete has to offer. I'm sure you can, like you said, you can start on something on Jack Street or Feel Strong and go straight to that. But if you haven't put the work in, you're just, you're just not going to squeeze every ounce of that. So take time, invest in yourself, and then from there, move on and get the most out of the programs. Boom. 
If done right, we're looking at 60 minutes. Yeah. It's a good training day. Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's pretty accurate, um, you know. But, uh, you know, I mean, a, a bigger issue comes as you get farther down that strength chain. You're going to have to rest more in between sets. Yeah. Uh, like, so one, that's like. Well, I got one final note. There's so much. I, and I'll link up presentations that I've given on this that are out there where John introduced. He is not a fan of the traditional periodization. This also works into an inherent periodization, yep. meaning if my my squat continues to rise and the intensity is getting very high, at the same time, I failed my press and it starts to drop and I have to take that back three weeks. So it's not as intent and you just get this up and down volume and intensity balance inherently in your program over Dude, 20 weeks. Uh, the the uh, funny side note, um, I had this idea that I could ring out just maybe a little bit left of the linear progression, but we could do it with volume. So I remember at one point we were doing like some heavy singles and then we were doing five by fives and I was trying to linear progress the singles and the five by fives. The only problem was crazy, I ended, man. it was a fucking terrible idea. Uh, I ended up doing like, it was like singles were like 585 to 600. And then the five by fives were like at 495, 500. The problem is, is I had to rest a legitimate, like 10 minutes in between sets because I was just crashing and burning. So I got to the point where like the five by five was taking me legitimately 50 minutes to get done. Like yeah, I was squatting for an hour to the point where, and I remember like, it, you know, there were times where I tried to push it and it just, it just came to the point where I was like, dude, the economy of time on this is terrible. And it was like I was recovering to the point where every set was like organic. And uh, like at that point, I was like, you know what? Like, unfortunately, when the linear progression ends, it fucking ends. And, you know, there's people that have tried to like go back and port it in this. And it's like, dude, once that nervous system wires up and you, you create that level of coordination, uh, you can't go back to that. Well, you have to progress on. And that's why we created other programs. And learn that the hard way. Yes. All right. Carl Case, CrossFit South Bend. If you are a teen in that area, hit up Carl here. No one does it better. Carl, if people want to follow you or training and your coaching, where do they go? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm just Carl Case. No funny abbreviations before or after. Just straight Carl Case. Um, and then if anyone wants to wrap coaching, has any questions, uh, work with any of the athletes need help, um, you can end up on there or Carl at CrossFitSouthBend.com is another great way to get a hold of me. Nice. Boom. And that is another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye.